Hey everybody, Pastor Gary here. So glad you chose to join us today as we are in our third week in our series, A Generous Life. I'm hoping today to answer a couple of questions from our, from our passages today. But before I give you those questions, a word of warning. Some of you are going to hear my questions and possibly become upset with me. Please don't. And if you do, then more than ever, I'm going to ask you to please hear me out. Don't just shut this video off. I don't believe the answers are what you might be expecting. First question I hope to be answer to answer today is just how generous should I be? The second question is where as a Christian should my generosity be directed towards? Now, you might think that you have the answer to these questions and you might be right. However, I suspect that many of us have some false understandings concerning Christian generosity and who we should first be giving our gifts to. So if I've caused you to pause with uncertainty, then that's perhaps good. Also, usually when we meet as a church at the end of the message or sometimes even the middle of the message, we have questions that come up. And I have to admit, I really miss this time together. So at the end of the message today, I'm not going to simply say amen, sign off, and be gone. Instead, I'm going to stay live and try my best to answer any questions that you may have. We'll put a phone number up that you can text. If you don't want to put it in the comments, that's perfectly fine. So if, I, if, I, if you have a question that I'm not able to answer, that'll be fine as well, but I'll try. But first, let's begin with prayer and then we'll see what God has to say to us this beautiful morning. Father God, I know that the topic of giving and generosity is for so many in the church a difficult or even controversial topic. However, it is a topic that you speak of often, and so the church must teach on it. Father, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, that we might hear your words, and I pray that this morning you will work through me so that the words that I speak will be yours and not mine. More than anything, Father, I pray that Holy Spirit within us would touch our hearts and transform us so that we might reflect all the more the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, to this world. Amen. So, this morning, we're going to be looking at two different passages. The first one, Luke chapter 20, verses 45 through chapter 21, verse 4 as well as Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. We're going to start this morning with Luke chapter 20, verse 45, through 21, verse 4, which reads, While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. However, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Then as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, their excess, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. 
The first three verses of our passage, verses 45 through 47, is Jesus' final warning to the disciples about the Jewish leadership. <clears throat> As a result, I believe it's important an important warning for all of us, because pride, which is the topic of it, is something that we all have a tendency towards. Jesus is warning the disciples about pride and the place that pride tends to take people. You see, the Jewish leaders have allowed their pride to cause them to elevate themselves so far above everyone else that they see the rest of the world as inferior to them. As a result of this elevation and separation from the rest of society, the Jewish leaders now see the rest of Jewish society simply as tools to be used to ensure their agendas come about as they desire. During this time period, a widow would have been one of the most vulnerable in society. This is the one of the reasons that the Bible over and over again tells the people of God that we are to ensure that we, are, that we care for the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners that are living within our communities. And these Jewish leaders have allowed themselves to be so far separated from the plight of the least among them that now they're willing even to take their homes from them. See, these leaders may claim near perfection in their religious practices, but they completely fail to reflect the merciful heart of God. God desires mercy from us more than he does religious exercise. Pride has allowed these leaders among the people to stand before those who are in greatest need and to publicly pray for the least among them. But then they are able to somehow turn around and take their homes away from them. Most likely this is because of unpaid debts. It's a lack of mercy. It's a lack of showing the heart of God. It is exactly what we spoke of last week. It is hypocrisy on public display. The scariest thing for all of us is that these men knew the scriptures better than anyone else in society, and this is the place that they have ended up. This should be a warning to all of us. God's desire, first and foremost, is that we be transformed by the Holy Spirit so that our hearts reflect the mercy that he has blessed us with. When we do this, a bounty of generosity will overflow from our lives. And the warning that Jesus speaks of here will not be something that we need to worry about. We need to check our hearts. Then Luke continues, and in verses 21, verses 1 and 1 through 4, Jesus presents this stark contrast between these rich men and the widow. These men are gladly placing their money into the temple treasury so that all can see just how much they are giving. And Jesus makes a point to say, that they are also giving not what they have been told by God to give, but rather they give out of their wealth, their excess. They are giving to God not what came first, but rather what is left over. So God is getting a portion of what is left over at the end of the week. Whereas the widow puts in two small, small copper coins, it is all that she has. There is nothing left. There are no leftovers for her to give from. When these leaders stand back, I'm sure that they would have mocked the gift the widow gave because they had given so much more than she had in their own eyes. However, who truly gave more? 
these leaders have given more, have given only from their excess, what they had left over. And the widow has given from that which she truly needed to survive. The one gift has come from prideful arrogance and the other from humble service. You see, God does not count coins. Rather, he weighs the heart of the giver. And so Jesus commends the widow because she gave in faith. Whereas these wealthy men gave for prideful gain. Now, a word of warning for all of us. This does not mean that wealthy people give in such a manner. Jesus has saved many wealthy men and women, and they give generously to the church out of a humble heart for the grace God has shown to them for the wealth they have been given by God. The key here is the heart. Are we humbly giving out of our love for God, out of an overflow of the mercy for the people of God for his church? That's the point Jesus is making here. Remember, God doesn't count coins. He weighs the heart of the giver. So how much am I called to give? How much are you called to give? Well, let's try to figure that out. So now we're going to shift and look at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. It reads, For, the grace, for by the grace given me, I say to, you, it, to every one of you, I'll get it yet, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Paul begins in verse 3 here by calling us to see ourselves with humility. He calls us to use sober judgment when looking at ourselves. This is actually not easy for most of us to do. If you've ever done one of these self-evaluations, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is why a lot of times when you complete a spiritual gifts assessment, for instance, it is good to have someone who knows you really well to complete the same assessment with you in mind. <clears throat> and then you can compare the two. And oftentimes you'll find that they see gifts within you that you didn't see. And there are gifts, perhaps, that you may see that no one else does. That's because we oftentimes desire gifts that we admire in others. That doesn't mean, however, that we have the gift or we don't. We have to be careful. It can be a trap for our pride to lead us into. It is a trap we must be very careful about. Right? We must be sober-minded and judge ourselves well. Like I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, humility is a difficult trait to cultivate because there is a sense in which each of us is the most important in the person in the world, at least to us. And it always takes the grace of God to truly see clearly those who are around us. However, if we see God as the sole author of the gifts of the Spirit, and trust me on this one, he is the only author of those gifts, 
That means that we are totally dependent upon him for the gifts that he has chosen to give to each one of us. This is a very important understanding that we must all have. It is a mindset that will protect us from being from becoming arrogant concerning our own accomplishments or comparing our gifts with others. Because these accomplishments would not have been possible without the grace of God and the good gifts that he has given to each and every one of us. In the last bit of our passage, we can see that different members of the church have different gifts. And each and every one of these gifts is needed for the church to function as God has intended the church to function. Therefore, each of us should use whatever gift we have to its fullest in the midst of the church. We cannot hold back on how generous we are in exercising those gifts that God has given us. This also means that if you are not attending a church on a regular basis, you are missing out on the blessings that God intends for you, both as one receiving the grace of God through other people blessing you <clears throat> by them exercising their gifts in your life, but also in the fact that God has given you gifts that are stagnant and you are missing out on the blessing of being able to generously bless someone else through your gifts. Now, our physical body is certainly a unit, right? With all the members contributing to the good of the whole. And equally, certainly, a wide variety of function goes into making up that one body. All of the functions of each individual part are needed for the body to exist as it was originally intended. And the same is true for the church. This is why it is so important for each of us to be a member of a local church. It is the only way that we can experience the complete nature of Christ here and now, through the complete church. I love verse five, because it shows this diverse church made up of so many different people, of so many different backgrounds, of so many different personalities, of so many different colors and nationalities, and yet we are so interdependent upon each other. So much so is this interdependence that Paul says, each member belongs to all the others. We are not simply members of one body. Paul says that we are members of one another. We should therefore feel a deep sense of need for each other. We should also see from this that if we are all members of one another, no one can be a complete Christian a member of the church of Jesus Christ without being a member of a local church. Based on this verse, that is just not possible. I know that some of you are going to disagree with me on this point. I'm perfectly fine with that. But I suspect you disagree, not because you believe me to be wrong, but rather because you are not a member of a church. And so it's kind of like you are a finger out there all alone, pointing at all the rest of the church, letting them know why you don't really need them. How does that fit with the humility of verse 4? In verse 6, Paul begins discussing various gifts. And he says that God in his grace has created each of us differently and that none of us are the same. 
This is what makes the church so beautiful. One of the things that is so important here to see is that the gifts are given by God. In other words, you cannot work hard or make an earnest effort to produce any of these gifts within you. They are gifts which are given. And God is the one who produces and gives the gift of the Spirit within each and every one of us. As such, our responsibility is simply to acknowledge and exercise that which God has already endowed us with. God has given you gifts. You may not know what they are. That is one thing. But that simply means that you need to take the time to figure out how God has gifted you and called you to serve the church. The first gift that Paul references is the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is always one of the first gifts that Paul lists when listing the gifts of the Spirit. I believe this is because of the importance of this very specific gift for the church. So, if it's that important, we need to have a really good understanding of the gift of prophecy. Now, this is unfortunately going to lead us down a rabbit trail because it really doesn't have to do with generosity. But, here we go. Now, there are several different views out there on this gift. I have come to a very specific understanding after significant study of the scriptures. And it is that view <clears throat> that you are going to hear right now. You may not agree with me. I'm fine with that. You can, if you choose, try to change my mind. I will say this, however. Um, like I said, I've spent much time studying this because of Paul's focus on the gift. As such, if you wish to change my mind, I would suggest you come prepared because it's going to be a lengthy and in-depth discussion into the scriptures. So what is this gift of prophecy? We need to be careful because of our modern understanding of what that word means, and we must be careful not to force our modern understanding or expectations onto this word. It's unfortunate, but I believe much of the church has been influenced to read this word and think that it is meant to resemble a gypsy or a medium with a crystal ball. Now, when I put it that way, many of you would revolt at that concept. Even those who actually in practice see it that way, because that would be sin. And you know it. However, when many churches have a prophet come and visit, that is exactly what happens. The prophet stands in front of the church and prophesies who's going to or not going to be rich or famous or have a baby or get married or move to who knows where in the near future. I find it very confusing why so many in the church see this gift in such a way. It is never described as such in the Bible. Those are the kind of things people go to a medium with a crystal ball for. And the Bible explicitly speaks against this kind of thing. In fact, Saul, the king of Israel prior to David, is dethroned by God for this very thing. These are not the things a prophet of God under the control of the Holy Spirit prophesies. I know that there is a distinct possibility that right now you may be really upset with me. Now that's not my intention, but rather I'm compelled as a shepherd of the flock to protect the flock from false prophets. And that is what I am trying to do. And so that means that yes, the end result of what I just said is that those who do this, I believe, are not truly prophets sent by God. I don't believe at least. They may earnestly believe so. However, I believe 
that they are earnestly wrong. A true prophet of God brings a message from God to the people of God. The message of a true prophet does not rest upon his own intuition, his own feelings, or his own hopes, or the hopes of others, but rather after careful study, research, and understanding of the Word of God, and then giving himself over to the Holy Spirit, so that when he speaks, he is able to speak a message directly from the Holy Spirit. The gift of prophecy, according to 1 Corinthians 14, verses 3 and 30, 31, is meant to edify, exhort, console, and instruct the church. Prophecy, according to the New Testament, could include predictions of the future for the church, but this is not its essence. New Testament prophecy involved proclaiming to the community information that God had revealed to the prophet for the church's edification, for its building up, and for its betterment. Look, if right now, if you're angry with me, I'm sorry. I really am. I do not want you to be angry with me. And I know this is one of those topics that cause people to really get upset over for some reason. But you need to understand, your anger is not actually directed at, towards me, I don't believe. If you choose to not agree with what I have just spoken, that's perfectly fine with me. But here's what I can guarantee you. As a shepherd called by God to protect the flock of God, his church, as Living Way grows, I can guarantee you I will not allow a medium to walk into the sanctuary and think that they are going to bring magical thinking into this church. Finally, Paul says that the prophet should speak trusting God in accordance to his faith in God. And guess what? I believe that biblically speaking, I have done just that here today for the protection and care of his church. Okay, rabbit trail ended. Sorry. Let's move on to more enjoyable topics. Then Paul in verses 7 through 8 runs through several more gifts. He talks about serving, giving, leading, showing mercy. The real point of this passage is found in the last three gifts. I saw your comment there, Jim. <laughs> he sees that those who have the specific gift of giving should do so generously, and that those that have the gift of leadership should do so with diligence. And then finally, those with the gift of mercy should show mercy cheerfully. I believe these are set here as examples for all of the gifts. They do uniquely fit well with each of these gifts. So by way of example, for instance, let's say that you have the gift of service. Then I believe you should be generous in your service. You should be diligent in your service and you should serve cheerfully. Imagine if you will, a church where we all humbly exercise the gifts that God has given to each one of us with generosity, diligence, and cheerfulness. Sounds like a pretty amazing church, doesn't it? But how do we live all of this out well? First, these passages should cause us to examine our hearts. We all need to be careful to not take credit for our own personal achievements and talent. That's not easy. These are all gifts from our gracious God. And when we see them as gifts from God, then we can humbly give credit to God and God alone. 
This will protect us from boasting and self-exaltation. 1 Corinthians 1.31 tells us that if there is to be boasting, we should boast in the Lord and what he has done in and through us. Then when we look at the contrast between the giving of the Pharisee and the widow, we need to remember that the point is not about measuring how much we give. Look, some of us will be able to give 2% and others 5%, some 10% and others 70% of their income. That is not the point of the passage, though. Remember, God does not count coins. He weighs the heart. So if someone is wealthy and gives joyously and privately in service to God, and they give the first of their wealth, and not simply from the excess of what is left over, then they are no different than the widow. The rich man in the parable didn't give because he wanted to give. Instead, he only gives from his excess for the public praise of others. The problem is pride. So Jesus is praising the widow for her attitude and action and trust in God as an example for how believers, both rich and poor, should live their lives. We all too often get wrapped up with the amount of our gift. Remember, God doesn't count coins. What may appear to you to be a poor gift can actually be rich in what it costs and represents to God. How do we give like the widow? First, it requires conscious planning and effort on our parts. In 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul says to set aside a sum of money at the beginning of every week. Why does he say this? Well, because God deserves priority in all things in our lives. And that means our giving as well. If we don't do this and we fail to make our giving a priority, what will happen is that life will come along and in the end, we will be giving to God from the leftovers at the end of the week. Right? Also, when we plan out our giving, it will help us develop a healthy understanding that all that we have belongs first of all to God. Finally, by doing this, it will also cause us to be more disciplined with what we do have. And that's a good thing, right? We could all use more discipline in what we have. One of the greatest things that is taught here, though, is that no one is too poor to give to the kingdom. Look, Autumn and I have been at points in our life, we have felt this way, actually. These feelings come from a fear of not being able to care for our family. But in so doing, we were the ones who lost out. We were not walking before God in a way that expressed appreciation and trust for him. But here's what you need to understand from my mistakes when you walk in light of those truths that God will bring you peace. He will bring peace to your heart when you understand and walk that way. And it was a peace that during those times, we truly missed out on and we needed. How else are we called in these verses to be generous? We are not called to only give financially to the body, right? If this is all that any of us do is give financially to the church, the church will die. The body, the church, needs each of us to give our individual gifts by the grace of God to the church of God. This is how we have been each individually blessed to be a blessing. One of the things that I find amazing about this passage that is often missed is that the widow gives without worry or concern or whatever those around her are giving 
or think of her gift. Why? Because she is giving her all as a means of worshiping her one true God. Just like the widow, we must not worry about what others have to give. We must give all that we have been created and grace to be able to give to the church. So, back to the two questions that I asked at the beginning. I think you already know the answers. How much should I be giving? And where should my giving be directed? How generous should I be? You should give it all. You're expected to give all that you are. What that sum total looks like in the end, I don't know. That is something for God to decide. Right? And work with him and he'll tell you. He will show you. Where should I direct my generosity? Your generosity should first and foremost be directed toward your church. I know a lot of churches that I know get this one, I believe, backwards. They first direct their resources outside of them. But their goal isn't to be generous, as Jesus was generous, actually. That's the problem. But rather their goal is to simply have a larger church, right? And so outreach is their first and foremost uh, priority. That philosophy, I believe, is unbiblical, though. I believe that the Bible teaches that the church exists first and foremost to build up the church first and foremost. And as such, your time, talents, and finances should first be directed toward the church, and then after this, perhaps, toward the world. Remember, God doesn't count coins. He weighs the heart. Let us pray. Father God, this morning we come humbly before you and ask that you would examine our hearts and weigh them well, and then help us to see what is there. So if there is something that must be dealt with, Lord, by your power, Deal with it within us. Help us to reflect more and more the image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, to this lost and hurting world. Help us, Lord God, that we would lead humble and generous lives. Jesus, fill us with your Spirit so that by the example you set for us on the cross, we might give all that we are to your church. Amen. And now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.